0: Hey, this is Karen Coaches Corner Chats, and joining me is Danielle Lund McNamara. Let me start all over. That's a tongue twister. Hey, this is Karen Coaches Corner Chats, and joining me is Danielle Lund McNamara. Danielle, where are you at, and what are you up to?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I am in Connecticut. Um, I am currently. Um, I started a business in January of 2023 called DLM Coaching which is um, kind of basically taking my life's experience in tennis, both as a, a former player and coach, and now trying to help young uh, tennis players that s- aspire to play at a really high level, kind of helping them both on the court with their game, but then also in all of the areas off the court that um, you know are equally important, so.
0: What was the impetus of making this organization or business?
1: Yeah, it's something I've been thinking a lot about for a while. So I actually was a longtime college tennis coach prior to this um, business. And so I had seen kind of the challenges and and struggles of the junior tennis player um, when I was on the, the coaching side in college. And I thought to myself, you know, I feel like I have a lot of valuable knowledge and experience that I can like share with that younger group now, having kind of gone through it myself as a like I said, a former player and, and and coach. And so I just, I'm, I just want to give back. I love the game. The game has given me so much in my life. And so I'm excited to work with a bit of a younger age group now, um, and help them reach their goals.
0: So you talk about being a player. When did you start playing tennis? Were you yeah. itty bitty or was that kind of just something you kind of figured out when you're in like school?
1: Yeah, I played all kinds of sports when I was younger. Um, Tennis, I kind of stumbled upon when I was eight years old. There was a club like a mile down the road from my house that just offered introductory lessons. So my parents kind of threw me into those as just another sport to try. Um, And I really loved it. And I kind of caught on pretty quickly. So by the time I was about 10, I had pretty much said I want to just focus on tennis. And that's what I did. Um, and I started playing tournaments at about that age. And by 12, I was playing national and and international tournaments, um, pretty seriously. So at that point I played kind of all through my, um, middle school years, high school, and ultimately played college tennis at the university of Michigan on a full tennis scholarship.
0: What was it about tennis that just kind of just resonated with you and made you fall in love with it?
1: Um, I loved the, um, like the cerebral part of it. Um, it, it, it really fits my personality. Like I love like really mastering the technique of a stroke, like breaking it down into parts. And I really enjoyed, um, kind of the independence of being out there on my own, having to figure things out, the strategy of it, the tactics, um, yeah, I don't know. It just—it was just everything about it I loved. I just never really hesitated to say this was the thing I wanted to do. So,
0: What was the experience like when you said playing here, but also internationally? What was that international experience like?
1: Yeah. When I was 12, I think my first experience was this thing called Coupe de Quebec. So I went to Canada with a group of um, highly ranked American players that were same, like 12 and under. Um, that was great. That was my first time traveling just with a coach, no parents. Uh, we went as a, as a group, as a team and got to play against other good players from around the world. And that was very eye opening. I think um, uh, that was my first one. And then the, really the others weren't until much later in my um, playing career, but I appreciated that a lot. It really was very eye opening. And, and I got to meet and make some great friends. I mean, anytime in tennis that you can play um, and a team competition, it's very unique because normally we're always competing against each other for ourselves, by ourselves. Um, so any team event was just like, sign me up. How do I do this? So that's great.
0: And then you talked about going from high school and then going to Michigan. How does one get recruited for tennis? Is this, do you just kind of, do you send videos out as your scores get out there? How do you get attention so that you can mm-hmm. end up at a great school like Michigan?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is driven by rankings and ratings. So um, you kind of work your way up to the point where you are at a ranking that you can get yourself into the biggest national events that there are in junior tennis. Um, that's where the the top division one coaches and, and and not just division one, like you'll have many divisions represented at these national tournaments. But if you want to play at a big division one school and you need to be playing those national tournaments. And then that's where you get exposure. So the coaches will go, um, they'll watch you play usually multiple times, Um, you know, but a lot of times coaches lists initially are, are created based on the rankings. So like, depending on where you fall, that's kind of the, the range of schools that will dictate the range of schools that are most likely going to be recruiting you. Obviously the academics are big too. You can't forget about that. Um, and then, yeah, then it's just like any other sport, having those conversations, learning, doing your homework, figuring out the best fit, taking your visits um, and then ultimately hoping that it all meshes in the end.
0: <laughs> As you look back to even your youth days in middle school, high school, uh, what were the impacts of the coaches in terms of your development? Like you fell in love. It seems like it fit, like you said, personality wise, cerebral, all that but what was it about the coaches that helped you kind of continue to raise your game?
1: Mm -hmm. I had some really great coaches and I think that I had key people at key points in my career that brought different things to the table. So I remember the first coach I had when I went into that eight year old clinic down the street, his name was Glenn. He was the funniest, kindest, like goofiest guy that I still like look forward to running into when I go home um, and he just made tennis fun, which is like at eight, like I just I just fell in love with it, you know. Um, and then when I got more serious with it, I feel like my coaches also kind of got more serious and more intense and and expected more of me. And therefore, I kind of raised my standards of myself and and they they each kind of brought different things to my game. So my next coach was trying to teach me to play a certain way which was really good for that age and that point but then i realized i kind of needed a switch to develop my game even more in areas that maybe he wasn't as focused on so then kind of switched to a new coach that that i was with until i went to college it wasn't until i got to college that i had one female coach um all my coaches and juniors were men which is very common in youth tennis. And so I believe that when I got to college, all I had in college were women coaches. All the assistant coaches that coached for my head coach were women. And, I, and my head coach at the time was pretty young. And I think that that's really when I first thought to myself, like, I could do this. Like, this could be something I do because I saw it. I saw it in them. And I loved tennis and I loved my experience um, in college. And so that's, I think, where the, the seed was planted about like, maybe I'll do this when my playing days are over. So my college coaches were, I mean, so impactful on me as a person, but also as a player.
0: What was the experience of transitioning from high school? You're playing, you know, a lot of youth national events. What's it like going from like that high school to now? You know upper top power five tennis
1: yeah it's uh it's amazing it's like you put in all those times i mean it's lonely a little bit as a junior tennis player you have your friends but i mean it really is just like you playing for you um but when you get to college it's the first time that you really are playing for something bigger than yourself and you are surrounded by you know other people who are so hungry for this as well other tennis players um, and so it, it's just like the most amazing. They say it's the best four years of your life. Absolutely. Hands down is um, we had so much fun, you know, good amount of success together. And there's just nothing like that. The bonds that you form there. Um, so that transition was for for me, it was what I was dying for. I think some tennis players struggle a little bit more than others with that transition, just because it is a stark difference from The individual junior tennis world to now all of a sudden, like, it's not just about me, like some people struggle with that a little more when I was coaching, I definitely saw that um, in some people that took them a little while to kind of like grasp that team concept. But most people do do get it.
0: What was it? During that time, you said, I like to get into this coaching. I see it. I can see the impact you can make. Mm-hmm. Do you think right as you're graduating from Michigan, are you thinking I'm going to go coach or d- how does that first coaching get come about?
1: Yeah, you know, I was really, really torn. Um, so my my head coach that I played for at Michigan, when I graduated, she offered me the assistant coach position under her. Um, so I had just graduated, but, but there was this other part of me that really wanted to play pro tennis. Um, and I was so torn. So I ended up going into coaching for one, that one year as an assistant. And while I was the assistant that year, I mean, I had just finished playing myself. So my, my main role was like hitting in with the girls on the team. Um, so I was essentially still practicing at a very high level, even when I was the assistant. And it was during that year that I thought to myself, like, I'm not ready for this. I'm still so itching, so ready to go play that I actually left coaching and I went out and I played professional tennis for a couple of years. I knew when, my, when I was done with that experience, I wanted to get back to college tennis, but I just, I knew I would regret not trying. So I did. So I went out and a few years later when I stopped playing is when I got back into college um, tennis, because I just, I just knew that's what I wanted to do.
0: What was that experience that first year when you were an assistant coach? Cause you're now hitting back and forth with what used to be a teammate, but now you're the coach. What was that (laughs) kind of transition like?
1: Yeah, that was, that was definitely different. Um, I think that understandably it was one of the biggest concerns when hiring me, not, not personally, but just this idea of like you're going to be coaching your former teammates. How do you draw that line and, and get their respect, but not, you know, you're, you're no longer just friends. Like, So, I mean, I think that I did have really good relationships with my teammates and they were very respectful of the new role that I was playing. We had no issues, honestly. Um, It was just fun. We worked hard together and then that was that. So, um, yeah, it actually went pretty smoothly.
0: You talked about knowing that you wanted to go give the professional game uh, an opportunity have you always been kind of one of those that's clear as to the steps that you want to take? It seemed like you were like, look, I wanted to keep playing. I want to go play college tennis. Mm-hmm. And then even as there, you're like, I think I want to coach, but I know I want to go professional. Have you always kind of had a nice, clear view of your kind of future?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh because it, on paper, it may appear clear, but like anything but clear. Um, I, I guess I just... I just try to follow my gut. Like I knew that I wanted to stay in tennis. I knew that, like, it's just such a passion of mine. Um, I knew playing there's a small window of time. So that seems like a sense of urgency. Go do that now. (laughs) Um, but then as my coaching journey kind of unfolded, if you look at that, it's a little bit like I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm having a family. I'm there. I'm back, (laughs) which we can talk about more if you'd like, but, um, Yeah. The bottom line is I wanted to stay in tennis. Uh, Exactly how that happened is a little bit, you know, not not so clear.
0: (laughs) What was the experience like going professional? Um, And I think a lot of people see the top, you know, everybody at the big stage and on TV. But what's the grind like for a professional player that's trying to make it?
1: Yeah, I think grind is like the perfect word. It is, it's a grind. Um, You know, you have to start out at the lowest level events. It's kind of similar to junior tennis, where you've really got to work to earn points and get your ranking up so that your ranking can get you into bigger and better tournaments. And then you need to win there to kind of keep progressing all the way up. Um, so when you're starting out, I mean, you're in small events and kind of the middle of nowhere sometimes. And I chose to stay kind of in the, in the U S mainly to play just for cost reasons. Um, it's pretty expensive. I, I had one financial sponsor that really allowed me to kind of get up and going, uh, to do all of this, but I essentially you know moved back home, trained with my coach from juniors. Um, you know, did all the train, like extra training on my own at a gym like i, I mean because ev- all of this just cost money that that i didn't have at the time um and so when we would travel we would usually uh myself and friends from college tennis we would share hotel rooms and practice together and play doubles together and then just kind of jump from one tournament to the next for a circuit a series of of different back-to-back events and kind of go home do it again um, so yeah, it was a, a ton and it's not glamorous. Um, I think if you're, if you're in the top 100 in the world, you're, you know, maybe like breaking even uh, if you're in the top 50 you're you know, probably making money, it's, it's, there's a handful that are, you know, people see Serena and Rafa and Roger and they think, oh my gosh, you know, there's so much money in tennis. And yeah, if you're at the very, very top, but there's thousands or hundreds of other people that are just grinding on the lower tours. But still, with all of that said, it was an amazing experience. And I would do it all over again in a second.
0: What was it that kind of let you know, all right, I want to go to coaching. When did you know was the right time to say, all right, it's enough. I've chased my dream. I got to experience the professional Mm -hmm. grind a little bit. What was it that then made you go, okay, it's time?
1: yeah so in a weird way it was almost like a the silver lining of an injury that I had uh, that was got to the point where I think t- in order to really fix it I would have needed surgery um I could have lived my life perfectly fine and played you know played enough tennis uh, without getting it fixed but to play at that level I would have needed to get it surgically fixed which I just, when I thought about it like that, I said, you know what, I, that's not what I want to do. I feel like this is a good time to make a transition into coaching. I'd had a couple of years of experience in it. It was fun, but like ready to kind of make the move. And that's, that's exactly what, what I did is I really started to turn my focus to what jobs were opening and kind of where I could get my foot in the door.
0: That's what I was going to ask. So how does, one, do you just start looking at message boards and start reaching out to like maybe your old coach and stuff and, yeah. and see what's out there?
1: Exactly. So um, my old coach was actually the the way I got back into coaching. I mean, you could always search on the job po- like NCAA employment page. Like that's usually where all the coaching jobs will be posted. But oftentimes, you know, this goes this is just word of mouth. And, you know, people are looking before the job's even posted often. Um, so that's what happened. So my this was in a in this happened during the summer my coach from Michigan was out on the recruiting trail and kind of just through coaches word of mouth, found out that um, the Yale women's tennis team, they had just named um, this woman as the interim head coach, this woman, Katie Granson, and she was the interim and she was looking to hire an assistant. So she, so my Michigan coach called and said, you need to call Katie because I'm from the Northeast. So geographically it was a great fit Um, it was a kind of rising division one, um, tennis school at the time. And so I did. So I reached out to Katie a week later, I'm in new Haven interviewing for the job on my ride home from the interview, got a call with the job offer. And a week after that, I'm moving to new Mm -hmm. Haven, uh, (laughs) to be the assistant coach of the, of the women's tennis team at Yale. So that's kind of how it happened
0: one of the things that popped up is when you finished at Michigan, your coach was like, Hey, Danielle, I want you to coach with me. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to finding a position, it's that coach, how impactful has she been? Not only when she was your coach, but how she supported and kind of just was a big like proponent of you as a coach and as a person.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you said it so well, like she's, opened so many doors for me. I mean, you just think about even that initial offer to go to Michigan, like how different would my life be if I hadn't, if she hadn't wanted me to go to Michigan and play for her, like, I don't, I can't even imagine. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, the impact when I'm there, I was there for five years, I was her assistant, and then she, you know, helps me get that Yale job. I I mean, I, I owe so much to her um, for that. And just like what she did, like the role model she was as, as a young woman. I mean, that's, I think she got the job at Michigan when she was like 26, this was in the maybe like early eighties. So not long after title nine. I mean, she really, she really paved the way, um, in many respects for, for so many of the women that played for her.
0: So if you look at your Michigan assistant, and then Yale assistant. What are the, what are the differences? You kind of talked about it, Michigan, more of a hitting partner and just kind of yeah. keeping the girls sharp transition to now later on, we play professionally. What's mm-hmm. Yale like as an assistant coach?
1: You know, it wasn't too dissimilar. Um, I was still playing at a high level. I had just stopped playing on the tour. Um, You know, I I was on court a ton. I was recruiting a lot. um, And, but I was working, (laughs) I was working with the interim head coach that I mentioned that was hired and then hired me. She and I were the same age. So we were like two very inexperienced. She had played at Duke, she was a very good player. Um, So we brought a ton of playing knowledge and that whole experience, but like we had very little coaching experience. Uh, but it, it worked out great because I think our, we worked very well together. We shared similar values, philosophies, all of that. We brought a ton of energy to the team, kind of a new vision, new life. And um, I mean, yeah, we just sort of rolled with it. <laughs> we, we did our best. We bounced ideas off of each other. I think, um, yeah, we just, we, we really, I think we relied heavily on our own personal experiences to make the best decisions. And then we learned as we went, honestly.
0: Beyond just the like, hey, here's this drill and here's Mm -hmm. how you do this technique. What what other things you talk about the cerebral? How do you help players become better about the game mentally? Um, And what other things are there when you're not at the court that are super important in terms of building like you talked about? We're not just individuals now. We're part of a team.
1: Yeah, that's a huge, huge factor. I feel like by the time um, a tennis player gets to college, there still are things that you can work with, obviously, technically and tactically. There's no doubt, right? Like you can change grips, you can develop your strokes and all of that. But I feel like where you can make the biggest impact is helping someone manage situations, manage the match. play, like really understand what's their style of play and how to get the most out of them, you're not going to be making major changes, honestly, by the time they get to you and they're 18 and they've been doing this thing the way they've been doing it for a decade or more. That's a tough switch. Um, but yeah, you can make them better competitors. You can make them, um, you know, understand how to play the game better, that mentally tougher. Uh, again, just like how to handle situations, because in in college tennis, the way the matches work, so you you generally speaking, you go out all at the same time, all six singles matches, and um, it starts with doubles first, so all three doubles matches, and then all six singles matches. So there's this really interesting effect that you can have on each other, even though you're you're playing your own totally separate matches, but now that you're playing as a team. You know, the, the whole situation is unfolding and you can you're aware of everything going on around you. So even though you're trying to stay focused on your match, even if I'm losing and you and I are teammates and you can see that I'm down in a hole, but I'm, I'm starting to kind of claw my way back and we're the last two people on the court. I may ultimately end up losing my match, but the fact that I can stay out there a little bit longer can help you stay calm in your situation and maybe play a little bit better on your court because I dug my heels in and I extended my match a few games. there's this like really interesting mental component to college tennis specifically that people don't realize. And so maybe you're not the last one on the court all by yourself, a nervous wreck, not that you would be, but most people are. Because I was able to stay out there. That's just like one small example. So.
0: So five years at Yale, uh, then what's next next for Danielle?
1: Yeah. So I was actually at Yale. I was the assistant for that one year. And then the woman I worked for, Katie, she left, she got married and was moving. So the head job opened up and I think I was 25 then. And I put my name in the hat for the head coach, I really felt like I could do this, and I really wanted to do it. Um, And so that next summer, I ended up being hired as the head coach, and I was the head coach for eight years at Yale, um, after that first year as an assistant. So that was that. (laughs) Um, And then I had, so I had one child during that period, um, my daughter, Grace, and then I was due with my second child in the summer of 2014. So this was after my eighth year as the head coach. And at that point, just as a family decided, you know what, I think it's time to pause on this. And it was getting to be a lot with family and everything else. So Summer of 2014, I, I stepped away from my job at Yale <clears throat> due in August, and I was kind of just going about my life, like doing my thing, just honestly trying to get through to August. And that's when the Texas, uh, University of Texas women's head coach position opened up. And in tennis, uh, there are seven Division I schools that's ever won a national championship at the Division One level. And Texas is one of them. And so to say it was on a bucket list of jobs is pretty accurate. So um, anyways, I got a call about that position from Texas. And that was one that I felt like I needed to kind of take that call, even though I had no intentions. sure, <laughs> And um, I was so far along in my pregnancy, I couldn't fly to Austin. So the athletic director flew to Hartford. I met her at the airport a week before I was due with my second child. We had like a three hour long lunch. I was offered the job the day before I went into labor, had my son and then had to make this kind of life changing decision. Are we moving or not? (laughs) And we ultimately did move to Austin and I took the job with a newborn and a three year old and off we went. So
0: (laughs) what is that like that decision where you have to balance like we're in a good place, we're in the Northeast, we've got family, all that type of stuff. And then to pick up and move, how difficult was that to say, all right, we're going for it?
1: Really difficult. Um, not because the job and the job was was amazing opportunity, but like you said, just kind of at that point in my life. <laughs> um my husband's a saint. He, I mean, honestly, he would come home one day and he'd be like, So what do you think? And I'd be like, We're moving. Let's go. And then he he'd like wake up the next morning, and I'd say, "We're not going anywhere." (laughs) It was like the way the wind blew was the way that I, I was just like all over the place. But ultimately decided, you know what? If you've got to give it a try, if you if you don't try, you'll never know, right? Like that's you can't. You may never get that chance again. This is going to be hard, not ideal but you got to go for it. And so he was really supportive. Um, he also worked at Yale and ended up working remotely and being a stay at home dad and Austin with the newborn. I mean, um, and so we did, we moved down and after a year, I think we realized like, this is just not, this isn't going to work like as much as you want to, it was just not a great fit at that point in my life for in our lives, really. So we ended up coming back to new Haven. Um, we had kept our house. We just kind of winterized it. We didn't know what to do. It was quick. Um, So we came back and I was a stay-at-home mom for a year with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Talk about a 180. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Hardest job of my life. Best, but hardest job. Like, I mean, you go from like a University of Texas head coach to like, I've got I'm like a mom to two kids and like, that's it. There's no outlet. And then when I say that's it, I mean, like, that's a big shift. Um, So I was going a little nutty and (laughs) um, it just so happened that at the end of that academic year, my old job, the Yale job opened up and my husband came home from work and I was like, so (laughs) what do you think about this? And he was like, oh, here we go. Okay. So I, I, the same athletic director that was at Yale when I was first hired was still there. And so he, you know, I went through the process and, and he uh, hired me back. So I went back to Yale for another four years. So
0: what was it like to go back that second time to Yale after, you know, building that program up and then Mm -hmm. going and taking the break and then being home with the kids and now coming back, what was it like kind of (laughs) revisiting the, you know, the old stomping grounds?
1: Yeah, it was really, really tough, honestly, because even though I hadn't been gone for too, too long, a lot had changed in terms of just the the culture, um, the expectations, just the standards, the way that things were done. And so I feel like we had, I mean, we I'd almost in some ways felt like we had to start all over again. I mean, when I was there in the first eight years, we won four Ivy League titles. We were in the top 20 in the country. We kind of went from Nowhere to somewhere, and really um, had it kind of humming. And when I went back, I mean, I think we went zero and seven my first year in Ivy League play. Um, I think we went one and six maybe in the next year, and then and then we finally kind of got it turning again. Um, And then COVID hit. Um, We had I think we came in third place my third year, and then that was kind of like (laughs) everything just shut down. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a big, big shift and, uh, a bit of a, a wake up call.
0: (laughs) What was it when you look back at the Texas experience, is that something that you would ever want to go back after Mm -hmm. again? Like one of those top seven schools that's won national titles or is coaching, you know, you've got this new business and stuff. Is that maybe enough to keep your, like to whet your appetite?
1: Yeah, I, oh, it's a really tough question. I think there will always be a part of me that thinks like college tennis coaching sounds really, <laughs> really appealing. Um, you know, right now for me, my kids are eight and 11. So, and that was the whole driving force between me leaving Yale the second time. It was like, I I mean, I was just really tired of missing so much like in their lives and being able to be around. And so, family was the reason I stepped away, um, you know, and, and I and I really, I think that was the right move um, down the road, you know, if the right thing came up and the time was right, I don't think I could say no, <laughs> it's out of the question, just because it's, it's such a passion of mine, but I really do enjoy what I'm doing now, um, I really, really do, and I have a lot of, uh, it's great. It's great working with younger kids and, and trying to help them reach their goals and using my experience to, in a positive way to help them. So we'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> you mentioned when coaching, you missed out on some things with the kids. And what what is it like time-wise? I mean, is it a, you're there from like Ducks to the Dawn kind of thing? Is it super, even in the off season? What's a mm-hmm. college tennis coach kind of, what's their life look like?
1: Yeah, the college tennis season is really, really long. So we, um, at least at the division one level, it starts when school starts in late August, early September. And so you're training full, full 20 hour weeks from the start of school, pretty much up until the Thanksgiving break. So the fall season is technically um, called our individual season. So Players are playing; uh, they're competing, but they're playing primarily individual tournaments, representing their school, but just kind of for themselves. But that's a full that's a full competitive schedule. So, just to give you an example, I mean, you'll play some kind of regional tournaments. A tournament would be, say, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all day. Um, And then you're ultimately trying to qualify for big national tournaments that happen in the fall. So like my last year that we competed at Yale, we had a doubles team that um, made it into this very prestigious tournament called the ITA All-American Championships. It's one of our big national championships in college tennis. And they actually went and, and won it. They were the first team ever on the women's side in the Ivy League to ever win this tournament. And James Blake is the only other player that ever won it on the men's side. And so they, so they win this thing, which took an all week event in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So they miss an entire week of school and it counts for one date of competition. And then because they won that, they qualify for another big national in California. So we're back out there two weeks later when missing another week of school again, for one date of competition. So this is, this, this is, the potential fall semester. Um, And then you get a break from Thanksgiving, usually until they come back from Christmas break. That's in the Ivy League because the rules are a little bit more strict. At non-Ivy League schools, you could still be practicing between Thanksgiving and Christmas or the the winter break in the six or eight hour uh, chunks of time per week. So you're still doing things. Um, and then you're recruiting. So then you're going to, you know, winter nationals down in Orlando in between Christmas and new years. And then you come back and it's the, it's the spring season. So the spring season is the team season. And that's what happens from roughly mid January until the NCAAs, which is the very end of May. So you'll probably compete almost every single weekend with the exception of one or two, maybe. Um, traveling. I mean, we would travel all over. You play in the Northeast for us, we did, but then we'd also travel and play Michigan, Northwestern, you know, go to California, Florida, whatever. Um, So it is a, it's a grind. It's a real grind, even a home match, you know, college tennis matches are long. So even a home match is kind of an all day affair. By the time you're starting with your pregame meal, going to do your warmups, Start the match, finish the match, have the the meetings after. I mean, it's it's an all day thing. So, you know, during the academic year, I was not around very much at all. And then the summer, it's it's a ton of recruiting. So you're on the road for that, um, and or maybe you're running some camps. Um, so it it really can wear on you. Yeah.
0: When you made the decision to go into tennis, you were like that youngster and you're like, I just want to go into this. And then you started doing all of the the traveling and doing the nationals and all that type of stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: and going to Michigan. How important was – you've talked about family being really important to you. Yeah. How important was it your parents and stuff in your journey in terms of supporting and then seeing you go – at Michigan and play at a high level and then you go chase your professional dreams and then you've been coaching and been successful. And now you're just like an awesome mom. What's that been like to have them also in this mix?
1: Yeah, it's been great. So I'm actually, I'm an only child. um, And my parents were, I mean, they're like the biggest mentors and, and influencers I have. Um, My dad actually my parents are very, very different. My dad was, was so helpful for me in the mental side of the game. Um, he and I would play tennis. He's like a recreational player, but still like really understand. He's a software engineer. He's like a, oh, he thinks everything through. <laughs> um, and we would play every single morning in high school, all four years, every day before school from six to seven 30 in the morning at that club that I mentioned that I started at when I was eight years old. We still lived in that house. So my wake up call would be the covers pulled off of me at about 530 by my dad to be like, let's go. I'd wear my tennis clothes to bed. That's like how much time I tried to save. And we would drive down and we would hit every morning and he would help me so, so much. And then we'd we'd go to tournaments and my mom would always be like, go have fun. You know, like just have fun, play hard. And my dad, they never put pressure on me. It was never anything like that. But my dad would be talking strategy more with me. Um, And then we get off the court. My dad, more strategy. My mom, did you have fun? (laughs) So it was like a really nice balance. But honestly, like I'm I'm the first, neither of my parents went to college. They were both just wasn't, it wasn't an option for them um, when they were growing up. And so I think for them, I kind of came from the middle of nowhere, like this small town in Massachusetts, like I just think they were so proud, you know, like, and, and honestly, like it wouldn't have happened without them and their, their belief in me and the opportunities that they gave me. Um, you know, I feel like they did such a good job and this is what I try to do with my kids now as they are getting into like serious competitive sports is like almost be the, you know, when you, when you go bowling and you put up the bumper guards on the side, that's kind of what I feel like my role is that they did such a good job with me. It's like, they're not going to clear anything out of the way, but they're 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 not going to let me completely derail. Like they're going to kind of like guide like oh bounce this way a little more, like <laughs> but at the end of the day like I've got to get myself to the end end of the alley like where those pins are, you know, and that's they did such a good job of that, which I didn't appreciate as much when I was a kid, but totally do now.
0: <laughs> you talk about your kids getting older and getting into things are, is there a future tennis player in this mix or are you are you um, wanting to coach them or are you trying to be like your parents and be like, if they get into it, they get into it, but I'm not going yeah. like, to get over, overwhelmed.
1: That That's definitely been my approach. Um, both of my kids have played tennis um, and I did get to coach them a little bit um, on like a team that we started through our town, which was really fun. But my my oldest, my daughter, is like full into soccer now. She's like a competitive soccer player. She's 11. She's all in. like I think she aspires to do something similar with her soccer that I did with tennis, honestly. Um, and so I feel like I can help her there. I don't know anything about the X's and O's of soccer, but I know a lot about how to approach like your sport in a certain way and like the, the process and Um, you know, just, we talk a lot about these things like the mental side and I've watched a lot of soccer in the last two years. So, um, my son, uh, he plays all kinds of sports. Tennis is one of them, but he's only eight. So we'll see what, if he decides to kind of focus in on one or not, I'm not sure.
0: When you had that experience of coaching them, was Mm -hmm. it, was it fun to be the coach or what, you know, was it hard to deviate between a mom, but I'm also the coach?
1: actually no it was just coach we it was a team um environment so it it wasn't ever just like them and me alone (laughs) it would be like them me and the team so i i I really tried to be careful to never ever show any like preferential treatment whatsoever so i feel like i barely spent time on the court with them because i would try to kind of give some attention to all the other kids um So it was, it was just really fun, honestly. I'm sure if we, if, if they took it more seriously and they got more into it, that we would, it would be more challenging. This was just like very recreational, fun youth tennis uh, team model.
0: (laughs) You mentioned earlier, I think you used the word saint for your husband. Yes. what has it been like having him by your side to, like you said, when you're trying to make the decision about Texas and Mm -hmm. one day it was one thing and one day is the next, then we come back and Mm -hmm. we're back at Yale. Like how important has having him in your life been in terms of your coaching and just your life journey?
1: Um, huge. I mean, he is, um, you know, not a tennis player. He played for fun. Like he grew up in Florida. So I feel like it's kind of required that you learn how to play tennis from down there. And he played in high school, but he's a huge sports fan. He went to Notre Dame. So he's like a big diehard Notre Dame fan. How we get along Michigan, Notre Dame. It's it's a challenge sometimes, but um, no, I mean, just like he is like my sounding board, you know, I mean, even when I was coaching, if I was struggling with a decision or a situation, he would just always make time to listen. And he's, he's a very, he's got a very good, clear, like conscience and sound mind. I trust his judgment. So um, he's always been supportive. I mean, he's watched more hours of college tennis matches than like maybe even more than my parents. Um you know, pushing strollers, changing diapers, traveling with the, I mean, whatever, like he would do anything, go out and buy this team snacks. If we needed someone, anything, it's just like, they say that you need that, um, to, you know, to have that really solid core of people around you to, to make it in coaching. And I firmly believe that. And he's like at the center of that for me.
0: So here you are three months into your, your new coaching kind of Mm -hmm. setup and program, If we look forward, what's our what's the plan? Like, what's Danielle look like in in doing in terms of three four years? Like, what's the hope for the coaching situation that you're dealing with right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I really hope right now is just to kind of grow the base of kids that I'm working with. I'm working with players and athletes actually from all over the country. So the beauty of zoom, um, and just the internet allows me, especially when we're talking about things like mental skills, confidence, preparation, you know, your approach to your training. Um, I don't need to be on court with you feeding balls and watching you hit, although I still can do that though. I've been helping people with strategy, even through, you know, watching their recorded matches. What I'd like to do is, I mean, my dream would be to have my own, um, my own facility. Like I have a real vision of how I could take the, the things that I think are so great about college tennis, that team environment um, and bring it to more of a youth junior space where that is not an emphasis in tennis. It's just not, it's an individual sport, you know, but I would love to have a place where I can train athletes from, The the day they start at that grassroots, that young, young age, at levels all the way up through aspiring pro players or even players that are on the tour, like everywhere in between, this is a center where you can come and train and get better. But a big, huge, huge sort of underpin of all that would be that team component, like the vision, the values, like we would all speak the same language so that if I had a kid that was a high school player, he or she could mentor mentor that eight-year-old. That's just starting out because we're all on the same team at this place. You know, like that, that, that element of what I think that sport brings to people, to your personal development, I feel like is absolutely like, that's my passion Um, So using tennis as a vehicle to change people, not just tennis players is like really what I'm all about.
0: I love that idea because you talked about when you're going through, it can be kind of lonely Mm -hmm. through those junior days and middle school, high school. So I love the idea of like, you're part of a bigger group and then the mentoring idea is one of those things. Is that another idea of kind of like, is there a push nowadays to try to get more kids to play tennis?
1: Yeah, I mean, there definitely is. And actually, um, so it's been interesting, uh, again, like through my daughter and the soccer experience, I think that one of the, so I actually wrote a paper on this called Youth Tennis Needs a New Model. Hmm. And um, it's a white paper that I wrote that talks about this very issue. I think that soccer does a really, really good job at the gra- grassroots entry kind of recreational level of just grabbing so many kids and getting them really excited and playing soccer. And I think that there are elements of soccer and a few other sports um, that tennis lacks at that rec- that entry level. Um, that I think that if the tennis world could take some of these elements, some of these things of soccer, for example, and, and somehow change the model in tennis to include those aspects, I think we would capture so many more kids. Like I'll never forget. I went to my, when my daughter first started playing soccer, she played on a town team and just, just a rec team, you know, parent, volunteer coach kind of thing. And we showed up to um, the fields at the middle school, and as far as the eye could see, kids were just like filling the fields, pouring out of cars, so excited to go play soccer. And the soccer fields sit right next to the tennis courts. And I found myself—the tennis courts were empty, completely empty, all Saturday morning. Beautiful day. And I thought to myself, "This is so like this is so messed up." <laughs> How do we get some of these kids down here playing soccer up there? Not to take them away from soccer, but maybe to also play tennis, you know? And so it really got me thinking and ultimately writing this paper. Um, So, yes, I think tennis can do a much better job and maybe steal some plays, successful plays from other sports. But I've also noticed some things I think that tennis does well that have struck me about soccer, too. So, like, it's very interesting. I think we can probably learn from each other.
0: I have absolutely loved this chat, Danielle. I'm going to go ahead and shut this thing down. This is Karen with Coaches Corner Chats with Danielle Lund McNamara, and I'm out. Peace. <laughs> what a great chat. Thanks for checking it out. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button. And once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.